0: I'm Peter
1: and I'm Izzy
0: and this is Determination, Deliberation and Dragons, a podcast where we talk about dragons with determination and deliberation.
1: In this podcast we really wanted to encourage ourselves to write and to talk about writing and what better way than to do it together. It will be more or less a creative writing workshop with two people through audio. In each episode, we'll talk about one piece that one of us wrote through a specific theme, and another piece that helps us better see that theme. Themes can include introductions, which may or may not be this introductory episode's theme.
0: Spoiler alert.
1: Other themes can include character development, how to write a good villain, so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, so we'll just be talking about different themes and different aspects of creative writing that you know, we either want to think about more or that we want to develop in our own writing. So, you know, as we introduce a piece of our own writing, talking through that theme with respect to our writing is going to kind of help us to better develop it within the stories that we tell. And by pairing it like with another piece that we read, we're just going to take a deeper dive into a piece that either did something really well that we want to appreciate or learn from, or maybe that missed the mark. And mm-hmm. we'll we'll see how how we can then learn and apply that to our own writing. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, basically, we're just trying to grow as writers ourselves and hopefully you guys can grow along with us.
0: Yeah. And, like, again, you're not going to actually be able to see our writing, but we're hoping that we can just talk about these concepts broadly enough that it will hopefully help everyone to a degree.
1: And maybe in the future, when we have a website, you can see excerpts of our writing.
0: Indeed. So now, Izzy is going to introduce herself. She's one of the co-hosts of this podcast. So she's going to tell us her name, pronouns, her favorite book, what her favorite book series is, her favorite author, her favorite dragon, fictional, real, species, individual, whatever, a fun fact, and why she likes writing in stories. So Izzy, take it away.
1: Thanks so much, Peter. I am Izzy, she, her, hers. Both of us are just about to graduate from school. Oh my god, we're not going to be in college anymore. What are we going to do with our lives? We'll see. It'll be good. It'll be an adventure. I've been telling myself that lately. Adventure is good and not just terrifying. My favorite book, I have a stock answer for this. It is The Girl Who Circumnavigated Bo- Fairyland in a Ship of Her Own Making by Katherine M. Valenti. It is fantastic. It's, um, I think, middle grade um, fantasy book. So good. And not necessarily, like, my favorite favorite all of the time. But consistently, it's a good book. So I use it as my stock answer because it's just fantastic. Everyone should check it out if you haven't. And favorite book series? I'm not sure. Possibly, I hate to say it, possibly Harry Potter, just because I'm still involved in thinking about it after I stopped reading it, and it's one of the few book series that I still think about after reading. I don't know. To be determined, (laughs) for sure, some other time. Favorite author? Uh, This is a lot of questions. Possibly Catherine M. Valenti. She's fantastic. Or um, Ursula Guin. Those are also my stock answers because it's hard to choose. But great fantasy sci-fi authors. So amazing. Uh, Favorite dragon? I feel like this question's a little bit more towards your interest, Peter. I love dragons, but I don't remember specific ones. Maybe. I'm just going to say this because I have an Earthsea poster right next to me in my room. Klaeson is a fantastic dragon from the Earthsea Saga by Ursula Le Guin, who is like the oldest dragon in that world, and really badass. Fun fact, again, I I have some stock answers for these questions, fun fact, I always say I'm a triplet. I have two brothers, and I'm the oldest, I was pulled out first. (laughs) For why I like writing and stories, I guess I've always been a reader. So stories have always been important for me ever since I was a little kid, and reading books has always been a way that one of my biggest hobbies for writing is not something I really got into until a little bit later, but it's also something that creating our own stories and getting what's in your head out into the world is something really important to me that I'm still learning the importance of. So Peter, give us your introduction.
0: Hey, thank you for that, Izzy. That was very interesting. I know you so much better now. I I Uh, sure hope so. (laughs) Okay, so my name is Peter. I use they, them pronouns. So like Izzy, I'm also graduating very soon. I studied earth science and geography, so very relevant to writing. I did minor in creative writing. So there's that. Favorite book? I want to go with a book that I just listened to recently, Hold My Hand by Michael Barakiva. It's really good. It's just about this kid. He's Armenian and he's, you know, he's gay and he struggles with his church and fitting in. And it just, it's not quite like being Greek, but it's very similar. And it, oh, I, I've i rarely read any great Greek books that were so relatable. So there's that favorite book series. I want to go with How to Train Your Dragon by Cressida Cowell. Yes, there are books. They are amazing. They're probably, <laughs> they're definitely for younger readers. There's like pictures and things in it. But they're really great and I love them. Favorite author? I mean, Cressida Cowell wrote How to Train Your Dragon and I kind of want to go with her. But I'm also just going to say Jeanette Winterson who writes some really great like sci-fi books. The Stone Gods is amazing. It's a very interesting tale. So my favorite dragon? There are many dragons to pick from. Um, Toothless the dragon from both the How to Train Your Dragon <laughs> movies and books is amazing. He's a wonderful... Amazing being. He has some great sarcastic lines. Um, but there's so many other dragons. There's Safira from the Aragon series. The. What's her name? Si- Sisu? From Raya and the Last Dragon. Um, so that's the new movie that came out recently, and Sisu is like amazing. Um, she's a very good swimmer. But there's, you know, there's a whole ton of dragons. Fun fact. Hmm. I mean the most relevant fun fact I guess is that I had a creative writing class with Stephen King's son so that's pretty cool and then why do I like writing in stories I don't know I mean I've loved reading since like probably third grade is when I really remember getting into reading that's when I read Harry Potter and I just love like diving into stories and learning more about you know, the real world through these other worlds. I think fiction is a great way to learn about reality in a fun and exciting and lightsaber filled way. So there's that. But awesome. Okay, so moving on from our introductions, we're going to get into like the main part of our podcast, which you will listen to every episode. So just like to briefly go over the formatting. We're gonna start with a section where we talk about a different book and kind of go over the theme that we want to talk about. And then we're going to do a brief summary of the piece that we're workshopping. So either something that I wrote or Izzy wrote, or if we have like a friend or a guest who comes on, maybe something that they wrote, we shall see. And then in our third section, we're going to have a deeper conversation about the piece that we bring with us. And then for section four, we're going to do something fun. We're probably just going to pick a quote that we liked from the story. We're going to be doing some constructive criticism, so we want to kind of end with something, you know, nice and light. So we'll, like, pick a quote that we really liked and just, like, talk about that briefly. And then we'll just do a concluding section where if we have any last-minute thoughts, we'll let you guys know what those are.
1: All right. In this episode, our theme will be that the uh, introductions and how to write a good one and how can you tell what a good one is and peter very brave soul will be looking at the first chapter of their piece off the scent and comparing it to the first chapter of the dispossessed by ursula le guin and seeing just how we can tease out the good parts of writing an introduction and what it is that you can do to build up the story and really get going with providing concrete details, but also providing a really good start and a really good hook for getting your reader interested. And I have read all of The Dispossessed. Peter has just read the first chapter, so we'll be comparing how our impressions of the book are to the introduction, me knowing exactly what happens, all of the spoilers, and Peter letting Peter, along with everyone who listening to this who hasn't read The Dispossessed, going off of how does this feel? Do I feel interested? Do I feel like this got off to a good start? And then talking about Peter's piece and how they do a really good job, which I think they do, of setting up their own character's adventures.
0: Yeah, I would say they do an amazing job. I wish that I still had the book and I didn't have to return it to the library. But it was really interesting, especially like the earth science and society major in me was very intrigued by this introduction. This isn't necessarily part of the text, but they introduced the book with some maps, which I thought were really amazing. And the thing that I noticed about these maps were there's there's two different worlds, I think. And yet both of the maps kind of look as if they may have at one point been our own Earth. I'm probably looking way too much into it but like if you look at the configuration of the landscape it almost looks like north america like years in the future like after the tectonic plates have shifted a little bit but like there's still the general kind of outline of north america i have no idea if that is at all the goal of this book or like maybe it just takes place in a very different universe but i was super intrigued i also just think that you know i so in my notes I wrote that the first line was there was a wall and that's just such an interesting like way to start like what wall what kind of wall where is it you know when walls just imply separation like you're trying to keep something out or you're trying to keep something in so like what is even happening with that like who's being kept out who's being kept in and then eventually like we find out that there is there is like this the main character Dr. Shevik I believe Who seems to be some sort of anarchist? I think they describe him as. So there's people like within the wall who who are bringing him to a different planet, and he has to like go through this mob of people to get there. But eventually he goes he goes through relatively safely. I think there is like so the mob does like try to attack him, but they're described as not knowing how to act like a mob, so (laughs) they're not very effective. But eventually he goes on this on this spaceship. To this different planet, and a lot of the chapter takes place on that spaceship. He has like a, either like a guard or like someone. I think it's like a another doctor or something who's there to just kind of like monitor him, you know. And they talk about some different things. And Doctor Shevik seems to come from a planet that's like very, very open. Like there's no real like gender roles. Like women can do you know everything that men can do. And the guard slash doctor person watching him is like, oh, that's so strange. Like. What do you mean women are equal to men? Like, how can that be? And, you know, Dr. Chevik's like, well, that's just, you know, they just are equal. Like, that's fine. <laughs> so you get this sense of, like, these two very different places and this one person from this more accepting and, like, open place going to this other place. And I think the thing that intrigued me most from that is just, like, what are we going to see happen? Like, how are we going to see this second place change or reject, like, this new, this newcomer to them, to their planet? So there's a lot of, like, intrigue and exciting things going on. I don't know, Izzy, if any of that <laughs> is what this book ultimately is about. Or maybe I'm just, like, overanalyzing this as a geographer. But I was very excited by this intro.
1: No, it is very much... Un- the entire book is about Shevik, who is a doctor of physics, by the way. Not a doctor doctor. Uh, but he is speaking to a doctor doctor of medicine. <laughs> because... Strangely enough, he has to be in quarantine during his space ride to receive certain vaccinations so that he's safe to go onto the planet that he's traveling to, which I thought was interesting. This was written in 1974, but it had referenced a reference to quarantine. But yeah, I think your observations are very on point. The entire book really hinges in completely on Shevik as being the foreign entity, that the protagonist introduced into a foreign environment. And having to come to terms with that, and the environment and society around him, having to come to terms with him, is entirely the crux of this novel. And he does come from an anarchist planet. It is specifically anarchist, it's unsubtly named Anaris, whereas the planet he's going to is named Urus. And Urus is basically like the capitalism, patriarchy, society as we would know it, basically, planet. And it's a clash of those cultures, or ways of life, really, more than just culture. And Shevik is kind of caught in between as this man of learning who was trying to, like, share his knowledge with the other planet because he's made some advance in physics. And it's difficult, to say the least. What with the mob and what with other things that happen later in the book. But yeah, I think this chapter does a great job of setting up that cultural divide. I also was interested in your um, highlighting of the maps, which are super important. They're in the beginning of the book in the first few pages, but they're also on the top of the page on the like title like chapter page. So there's the text underneath these two little maps. So they're very important in their positioning and they're also in the other chapters as well you see the map. So geography is also very hugely important. So you're not reading too much into it because place is just as important in this. But I do love the way the chapter starts with, there was a wall. And the second paragraph after that, the first sentence is, like all walls, it was ambiguous, two-faced. Which I think gives you a little bit of an idea of how the book is going to go. The subtitle for the book is An Ambiguous Utopia, which... The first chapter gives you some hints, I think, to the ambiguousness, the wall, the mob. If it's really a utopia, why is this doctor being assaulted almost, or literally assaulted? I think one person gets hit by a rock and possibly killed while he's trying to board the spaceship. So it's pretty violent, even though as Shevik presents it to the doctor that he's speaking to on his space travels, yes, all men and women are equal. I really love the way this first chapter for The Dispossessed sets up the world and the ways of thinking for this character. And also it shows the way that he interacts with other characters. And you can tell so much about the world building and a lot of the world building and the expectations that the reader should have for later on in the book are set up in this chapter. And I think she does that really well.
0: Yeah, it sounds like some of the themes that the author wants to explore are set up like right in the first chapter.
1: Mm-hmm. Even on the first page, the subtitle uses the word ambiguous and the first page uses the word ambiguous, two-faced. Like all walls, it was ambiguous, two-faced. So you have from the very beginning the idea that we're looking at something that seems clear-cut, clear boundary, but that she's trying to look at from both sides, trying to look at permeating that wall, going through that border that has been constructed by people. Moving on, Peter will now tell us a brief summary of their piece for the first chapter of Off the Scent, and we'll be talking about that in conversation with Le Guin's first chapter of The Dispossessed.
0: Okay, so basically, this is a piece called Off the Scent. It is a short story. I want to make a series of short stories about this this person and their dragon friend there's of course there's gonna be a dragon so this is this is a short story so it is the introduction of a larger story and it has its own introduction as well i suppose so in this first short story we see pana leave their village something happens and they meet up with this dragon and together the dragon and pana leave you know the village is in a snowy setting there's really nothing there it's all just ice and frost and coldness and we see them start to go south to where it's a little bit warmer. So they encounter trees for the first time. They encounter some people and they didn't realize that people could live or survive outside of their village. And then they learn a little bit more about the world through through the people that they meet. <laughs> they solve a problem <laughs> with a creature that that comes and maybe eats some livestock. But I think they solve it in a, hopefully peaceful and nice way. I do not like characters being hurt. Everything needs to be happy and joyous at the end if I can manage it. And then ultimately they are forced to leave those people as some of the villagers from from their home come. And it seems like they're very angry at Pana for something. I don't know. I mean, I do know. But Pana then leaves <laughs> with the dragon. The dragon is named Wave Skimmer. It's kind of a silly name, but this dragon has had that name for i want to say like six or seven years now so so pun and wave skimmer both leave and then we don't know what happens the next you know this is the end of this first short story and then there's gonna be another short story that picks up afterwards so that is my brief summary of my story
1: wave skimmer is not a silly name First of all, there's a little leeway that you can always give with dragons and naming them. Second of all, I think that kind of name—this is not really—I think it gives a lot of information about their personality, of wave skimmer, um, a little bit of adventure, adventurousness. Names are themselves an introduction to a character, and. Especially for a drag a, a character that's not human, you can be a bit more on the nose without it being too annoying.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I, I agree with that. <laughs> I think when I named him, I was just thinking, I mean, How to Train Your Dragon, I refer to How to Train Your Dragon all the time. But they have some great names for dragons, like Toothless, Stormfly. So like, there's these two word kind of names. So like, definitely based off of that. Also, I just like water. <laughs> So Wave Skimmer is just, you know, a water dragon. So yeah.
1: All right, now for part three, thank you so much for that awesome summary and little discussion bit of your first chapter. I look forward to reading the rest of that story, Peter. And now for what we got out of that intro. I think it was really a good, exciting intro, really compelling in the way that you introduce a little bit about the character, but also the mob attack Actually, strange how there was a mob attack for both of the protagonists in each chapter, but for obviously very different reasons. But yeah, introducing a little bit of conflict that may or may not be part of the overarching plot. I don't know for your story what the overarching plot is yet, but yeah. Well, my impression was a character trying to find their way in the world, who had left their village and was very much in peril, the first sentence, the first page is them wading through chest high snow. Chest high?
0: It's very deep snow. Yeah. There is much snow.
1: So much snow, almost swimming and nearly hypothermic. So, peril from the beginning. So, you have the like n- nature versus humans as like a basic conflict that you. St- just immediately introduced, but then also we get introduced to the nuances of the world. And I think that it was very interesting to see, since I obviously have not read the rest of the book, to like have a little vision of the world that you introduced to me from this first chapter of like, okay, so it's very cold and this cold is very usual, but for some reason this character's not in their house. They're traveling out in the middle of nowhere why are they alone why are they like not wearing better clothing or have any equipment so it introduces a lot of questions and i am purposely using overusing the word introduces introduction
0: yeah i don't think i really establish what the main conflict is at this point it's all kind of ambiguous so it's you know not it's definitely not as clear as the Dispossessed, where we find out that the main character is just an anarchist.
1: For the Dispossessed, it's actually about I don't. I guess they don't establish it in the first chapter, but um, Anaris was settled by people who lived on Urus who left because they started a revolution, and were like, "We're just gonna go and live our anarchist way of life on Anaris."
0: Oh, interesting. That actually really ties into my story like very well, because I mean you know Pan is very different and it they're not they're not necessarily leaving to start a revolution but you know they do leave their village and they go and find this like farmstead almost so they go south they find like this these farmers in this area where you know there's actually plants growing and stuff there's still tons of snow but there's like these giant trees that like block most of the snow you know I. In real life, I have, like, a little redwood tree that I'm trying to grow. So it's just based off of giant redwoods. But the per- the people at that farm, so we have, like, two kids and their father. But the father, we find out, like, did live in the village. And then he left. And he he left with, like, another person who had visited the village. He was the only outsider to, like, ever come to the village. And he kind of made people begin to question, you know, why they stayed up in that specific area for so long. And why they didn't leave. So, this one farmer goes with him and like ventures out and like sets up a farm. So, in a way, like it's not a huge like revolution and like settling other planets and stuff, but there is this sense of like, you know, moving on and disagreeing with the people who you originally were with and forming something kind of new. So, I didn't really, I didn't realize that connection. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Another connection I'm making now that you mentioned the farm is that Onaris as a planet is very much like a desert resource scarce and um very just kind of barren like they have short tiny trees they don't really have trees they don't really have too much in the way of agriculture and they're just kind of doing subsistence getting by whereas Urus is basically the way you'd think of like earth in that um it is not Earth, but basically the way you'd think of Earth in that it has regular trees, very green grass, all of this stuff that Shevik does make note of in the first chapter. Also make drawing comparisons between like the opulent splendors of ca- the capitalist lifestyle that's luxurious and um, what's the word? Excess, the excesses of that sort of life are also reflected in the natural world. And that their world is resource rich and very excessive. But connecting it to your story, I'm thinking of how Panna finds a sanctuary in this small little area that has more resources, is slightly safer than the vast, cold, wintry wilderness that is surrounding this farm, versus Shevek, who has to leave Anaris, which is his home, to find not necessarily a sanctuary, but to find resources that he can't get where he is now. And very much in Ursula Le Guin's book is this idea of circularity and this phrase, which I still don't understand, that true journey is return. So even though Shevek, 250 years ago, the revolution happened on Urus, and that's when Onaris was settled by the first generation, and now... Shevik is the first Anoresti, the first person from Anaris, to go back to Urus. So his returning is very significant, and in a way that's one circle of the cycle. But then it, the story is written, sort of chapter by chapter between his time on Onaris and his life in Urus. So it alternates between Anaris and Urus back and forth, and it's sort of the cyclical alternation that way. And, spoilers, at the end of the book, Shevik, well, it's kind of presumed spoiler, because you know that his time on Urus is going to be not meant to be permanent. And at the end of the book, he does return to Anaris. And so there's always that circularity in the, within the narrative that is introduced in the first chapter, even though it's not explicitly said that Shevik is completing the circle of returning to Urus as that circle from those settlers who first left, but thinking of it with Pana, like, what kind of circle or overarching forces or overarching movements of people, is he, are they emulating, following in the footsteps of? I don't know yet.
0: Yeah, I mean, I like this idea of, like, movement that you talk about i think there's i mean there's a lot that you talk about you know the landscape like the political structure of the society of like these two planets so there's a lot of things and just like the movement of the individual as well you know there's a lot of interesting things going on with the dispossessed i mean i try to establish like the landscape as something that's like really important and that changes as we move like each story i mean at this point i've only written three stories but like i kind of have an outline of what i want And, like, each story I try to really, like, push what kind of landscape we go into. And even within this, like, within this first story, I mean, we see, like, the landscape kind of change from this snowy place to this place, like, where plants can actually grow. So there is, like, change over time. So I think, I mean, I think it's interesting that the introduction doesn't necessarily have to just be an introduction to, like, one thing. Like, it also we see change within the intro and like we see movement and we see different landscapes and different peoples and different ways of thinking so in that sense and, and maybe it's more complicated for like you know a series of short stories but we kind of see like yeah so like maybe in like a in a chapter book like we would see less of a drastic change and like more of just like a singular kind of story although that clearly in the dispossessed like that's not the case and we also see change in movement but there's a lot of things to consider when going into an intro
1: yeah, I think the contradictions or the gaps that you introduce to your reader of like, this is a thing that exists, and then show them the limits of where that exists can be something really important to put in your introductory chapter. In certain ways, like Shevik on his arrival touching down in Urus, or he sees the way that the characters are dressed very differently, that observation tells you how people on Onaris dress by knowing the contrast, or because that contrast is notable.
0: Yeah, I mean, that ties into, I wrote my thesis about that, you know, the way that you define yourself and like who is a member of your community necessarily defines who is not a member of the community. Like who was outside of it so definitely by introducing all these different things you know you're seeing just how how varied and like large this world can be
1: mm-hmm. one interesting focus that I noticed in your introductory chapter versus the dispossessed was the way that they both used or you both wrote from a variety of perspectives and character but still maintained a pretty limited focus on your protagonist and what their experiences were with in The Dispossessed, you're briefly for a page or two in the mind of one of the people who works on the spacecraft and is guiding Shevek into the um, spacecraft and up from keeping him safe from the mob. And the limits of their narration in some ways necessitate a further push of this person isn't doing the story justice. I need to be in the char- the main character's head right now and know what's going on. And it kind of encourages the reader to give that extra push of investment into the story, which you also did with these two children that were picking nuts and just kind of having a fun time until all of a sudden they come across this person frozen in the snow and they're like, oh my god, no, we have to help. And it was, and that person is Pana. And I think that's also an interesting technique to build investment from the reader and engagement in the story by wanting to know immediately, Pana, what happened? Why were you frozen in the snow? Which is a thing I had just
0: thought of. Yeah, I mean, I definitely didn't think of that when I was writing it. But I start with Pana running through the snow and being frozen. And then like these two kids, so, you know, the two farming kids who they're going about their life and then they just find panna after Pana and Waveskimmer leave the village and then they all like meet up and they take panna in and unfreeze mm-hmm. them <laughs> heal them up a bit and then you know their dad meets them at the farm but that like you only get their perspective for like a few pages and then it goes back to panna yeah i definitely like writing the characters was kind of a struggle i'm not particularly good with characters but especially for this this story um I generally base characters like off of people who I know or people (laughs) from other stories and we can totally talk about that more in an episode specifically dedicated to characters that'll be awesome you know these three are specifically just all based off of Star Wars characters and I don't know if you If you watch Star Wars Rebels, you'll get the references. The two kids are Sab and Ezra, who are Sabine and Ezra from Star Wars Rebels, who were like the two siblings in that show. And then the dad I named Naka, which is just like Kanan with the letters mixed up. And he's the Jedi, like the dad of the group. So that kind of just helped me like organize the characters. And you'll define like what their relationships are to everyone else and like how they were going to interact with Pana when they find Pana you know Naka's is like a little bit more guarded and he's he wants to protect his family just like how kanan never really wanted to join the rebel alliance at first and he was like oh we need to like stay as a group whereas ezra and sabine are a little bit more open and like interested in learning more about this outside world so there's definitely a lot that you can do with with characters and we'll of course find out more about these characters as we continue on in future stories so now we're going to move on to section four, where we just do something fun. Um, this week, we're going to, well, this episode, we're going to just each pick a quote that we either like or says something about the writing or the idea of introductions. It doesn't have to necessarily be about introductions, but it might have something to do with it. But we've both picked a quote from the story. I was going to briefly talk about them. So like, Izzy, what quote did you pick?
1: Oh, I was unaware. We might choose quotes related to introductions. So I chose one based on my own preferences. This is not particularly an actiony part, but I just really like the description of the world that it gives you. It goes Stepping into the heat of the Jinro trees was like approaching a dying fire. As Ezra approached them, he held out his hands and gave a contented sigh. So that's basically the little kid Ezra approaching these trees that have ginro fruit ginro nuts and the nuts themselves emanate heat and i thought it was really interesting the way it makes you think about the world and realize it well you already know it's very cold because there's snow everywhere but realizing just the scarcity of the warmth that is in this environment and um I just love the little bits of world building that are going into this as well with like a tree that doesn't exist in our world that can emanate heat and also the little kid acting as if it's a fire and it just, it's a cute image in my head.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. That was, I like the way that you described the tree and the scarcity of heat. I think that's really interesting. Um, So the quote that I picked was, Sonaka is telling pana about why he left the village and you know this this man that he left the village with and you know the two of them they built this farm together and they raised these kids and after his story so so this guy eventually leaves the farm as well and he like continues journeying on i suppose but so you know naka clearly misses him but the kids then you know they both like hug naka and sab says he was brave wasn't he dad and i just like this idea of like exploring this new world and like you know pana's meeting new people and realizing that people can live outside of the village and naka's you know learning that people you know that there's uh, there's other people who are also leaving the village and you know just like he did years ago and i think that there's just this element of like exploring new things that requires a lot of bravery just like what we're doing with this podcast and this <laughs> our writing
1: also, do the kids, re- I remember the kids not seeming to remember the um, other dad, like, maybe sad a little bit, but I think I remember that they didn't really, like, their feelings of sadness for the other father being gone were just, like, our dad is sad that this dude is gone. We don't really remember him or have too much emotional connection. Is that correct? Or?
0: I think that might be correct. That might be retconned. Um, <laughs> this is still not a published work. This is just... You know, fun creative writing I do for fun. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of picture them as not really knowing this other this other dad that much. Okay. So yeah.
1: I really liked that scene as well, where Sab was comforting Naka because I am forget if it's explicitly established in your chapter or not, but these kids really don't remember the other father that they had that left them when they were very young. So her comfort and. In- to Naka and the sadness that she is expressing but also the hopefulness is really born from the influences and how Naka has raised her and how much love she feels for him and less of born from any emotional connection that she may have to the guy that she maybe remembers from being four years old. (laughs) Very little of. So I thought also saying that he was brave and not condemning him going off and doing whatever exploring he felt he needed to do, but um, putting it in a positive light also gives a, the tone of the story itself is about exploring and mm, about finding yourself and about finding what you need in the world, and not about condemning someone for like doing that.
0: Oh, I think that's super interesting and that's totally something that I did not think about at all and I have no idea why I put that in and was like, oh, you, you know, it's all going to be positive and happy and like no one's going to be like, how dare he leave.
1: I feel like that's the usual thing you would do though. If somebody leaves their children, you're like, how dare they leave their children.
0: Yeah, and like also not condoning leaving your children, like please don't do that. But
1: <laughs> No. But yeah, right. th- there is a certain narrative to it as well. Um, in a certain way, we we as in myself and we as in um, the way it is narrativized a lot of the time is that this person is being selfish or this person is doing something that is less important or that isn't taking the re- requiring risk of them. So I thought that her saying he was brave also summed up her acknowledgement of just the difficulties that her father is going through even though he's not with her and even though Naka is sad that they're apart.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on there. Okay, so now we're going to just have a brief conclusion where we talk about any last minute thoughts. Um, So we'll just like go over some stuff. As it relates to introductions. Izzy had a few good ideas that she will present to us.
1: Yeah, I'm collating all of the amazing comments that you have made, Peter, and the somewhat stellar comments I have made. Um, A few things that are coming to mind that stick out to me as a way to must-haves or should-haves into an introduction are writing about the tone and really establishing these uh, three things. The tone, different ways to engage the reader, and establishing world building or character development. Setting the building blocks for all of those things in this first chapter are really important. And analyzing the dispossessed with your um, chapter and off the scent has made me think of how these are really important and things to keep in mind. Of course, there's many ways that you can can accomplish this. through pulling in different perspectives of characters that are secondary characters or world building and describing character development can be done in so many different ways. Tone is so important, even just the quote that you pulled, Peter, with he was brave in the way that characters interpret their world around them and talk about it can be so subtle but very important and powerful going forward for readers to interpret this world that they're introduced to. So there's a lot of ways to do that, and these are just some of the things I noticed.
0: And just to, like, briefly add on, you don't even necessarily, like, have to notice everything that you do as you write. Um, Like, a lot of these things are happy accidents. Um, I definitely learned a lot from listening to Izzy, so, like, there were some things that I, you know, I wrote about that was not intentional. That's not to say, like, don't put thought into your writing, but, like, you might, you might not realize that you are doing some things um and accomplishing some aspect of you know introducing a really great story, so have a friend or read what you write and tell you what they think about it.
1: yeah, I noticed the way you established tone in that quote he was brave, and just that's the world view is positive, the worldview is generous and adventurous and yeah, I think that, however you want to introduce the world that's in your head to the readers that you will someday have, there. There's lots of ways to do it. And that's it for our first episode. Thanks so much for sticking with us. This is this is and always will be a trial run, a uh, workshopping space for us to experiment and try new things. And I hope you stick with us for the future episodes.
0: I second that sentiment. I hope you all enjoyed listening to Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons, where we talked about not enough dragons, I think, but a decent amount.